Well, hey there, my sweet teacher friend, Tony here for another episode of the Primary Teacher Friends Podcast. Here in episode number 29, we're going to talk about one factor in a well, smoothly running classroom, and that is this magical concept of pacing. If you put a little effort and focus on the pacing of your teaching, you will find a better managed classroom, and therefore, you, teacher, will become more joyful and impactful in what you're doing. Today, I'm going to teach you all about pacing and give you some tips to improve your pacing so that you can find these results yourself. It's so easy. You'll be glad you stuck around for this one. Are you ready? You are tuned in to the Primary Teacher Podcast. Now, if your job description doesn't consist of teaching little people to read, develop, succeed, and grow, you're probably in the wrong place. But if you do teach kindergarten, first, or second grade, well, you're what we call a difference maker, and you're among friends here. And now, your host, primary teacher, content creator, and little people fanatic, Tony Mullins. Welcome again, or for the first time, sweet teacher, if you are a primary teacher who is so, so passionate about what you do and the children you serve, you are in the right place. Here on the Primary Teacher Friends Podcast, it's all about teaching and improving so that we can be our most joyful and impactful selves. Before we get started with the topic of pacing today, which can have a monumental impact on your classroom management game. Let me give a listener shout out to Teach Me Too. This listener says, episode 23 will get you motivated. I enjoyed this episode as I was exercising on a cycle this morning at Planet Fitness. This was the perfect podcast for me this morning. I had planned to visit my classroom this afternoon to final prep for back to school on Monday. Thanks, teacher, cheerleader, Tony. Let's get our kids to the finish line in May. I enjoyed your podcast. That was so sweet and how cool to know she was exercising. Girl, I wish I had your motivation while listening to the podcast. That really brightened my day, and I really appreciate all of the reviews that listeners leave because it helps me get out to more teachers, and that is my goal. So thank you so, so much. And for those of you who are wondering, what was episode 23? It was all about a January reset, getting back in the game in January. So if that sounds like something you could benefit from even now as the year has progressed. Jump back there and check it out. And now let's talk about this magical concept of pacing. Maybe I'm a total nerd, but I really love classroom management strategies and techniques that make my life easier. When I look around my classroom and it's calm and running well, I feel so joyful. I feel so happy because I know that as one barrier I do not have to face to get these kids learning in the way that they need to learn. Classroom management can be a true joy 
killer. It can kill your happiness in the classroom. Many teachers who leave this profession blame it on some sort of classroom management area they could not get a handle of, whether that is student behavior, organization, all of those things. We don't need to lose passionate teachers, so that is why I like to share some thoughts and ideas and actionable strategies for you to keep you on top of your classroom management game. Pacing is definitely one of those things. Maybe you're not sure what pacing is, but today I'm going to clear that up. I'm going to tell you how to know if this is an area you need to focus on, and I'm going to give you four areas that you can focus on to improve your pacing. It does take practice, but it is not hard to wrap our head around these ideas and to implement ways to improve them immediately. So let's start at the basic level. What is pacing in the classroom as it relates to you, the teacher, and classroom management? Well, it's the speed in which you are progressing through your lessons and your day. This includes the rate at which you deliver your content and transition between activities. So technically, every teacher is pacing their lessons each time that we teach. The question is, is that pacing effective? Are we going to slow, too fast, or are we at that sweet spot that really engages our students and helps us keep our classroom at a wonderful flow? I'm also going to tell you that even though I want you to focus on pacing for your classroom management, that it is also a huge factor in student engagement. In previous episodes, I've talked all about what student engagement is and how it is the most important factor when it comes to delivering content to our students. If they're not engaged, they cannot learn. Pacing can help us to further engage our students. And I'm going to give you an analogy here to help you understand how this works. So I want you to think about walking on a treadmill. Maybe adding more exercise to your day was part of your New Year's resolution and you're even walking on one right now. But here, I want you to think of you, the teacher, as the treadmill and our students as those who are walking on the treadmill. If you, the treadmill, are going at a too slow pace, your students are just treading along and can become distracted and lose motivation. Imagine walking at a snail's pace on that treadmill. How boring. You could really get distracted and think of other things while you're walking. You don't have to concentrate at all on what's going on. If you, the treadmill, are going too fast, your students are struggling to keep up. They're panting and nervous. They're really doubting themselves, wondering why they can't do what you're expecting them to do. Oh, this is just too hard. But if you find that sweet spot on the treadmill speed, the walk is just challenging enough to keep you focused, but doesn't overwhelm you to frustration. That, my friend, is pacing, and that is how it can engage your learners. It can keep their attention span because they're going at a speed that is just right for them. Our goal with pacing should be to give our students the 
perception of speed that motivates them to stay engaged and focused on our activities. If you're going too slow, they can get distracted and think about other things. If you're going too fast, they can be frustrated and feel like they're not adequate enough. But if you're going at that just right speed, they will keep up with you and not have time to lose focus. This is an ongoing practice for teachers, but you'll know you've hit that sweet spot when your students complete work in a timely way, they don't have extra time to waste, and management issues are minimalized because students are busy learning. I don't have time to dilly-dally around because I may miss something and then I'm behind. Pacing is a great motivator for students and it definitely engages them more in what you're teaching. So there are classroom management benefits and instructional benefits of pacing. So now I hope that you have a better understanding of what pacing is and what it looks like. And I'm ready to give you these three areas of focus to improve your pacing. If you take these areas and put a little effort into them as I have in the past, you'll find some great results in the flow and the engagement of your students. It will make your life easier and you'll be more joyful as a result. So area number one is organization and routines. Before we can really focus on the pacing itself, we must establish foundational organization and routines in our classrooms. Our students must know what to do and when to do it. And they must have the supplies they need to execute their duties as well. If they don't have what they need, we can't stay in that routine and flow of proper pacing. Your routines and your organization, mostly of supplies and things like that, can help or destroy your pacing. If you'd like to learn more from me about routines and how to create a solid routine that will get you the results you need, jump over to teachertony.com forward slash routines. There I give you step by step how to identify the areas that you need routines and exactly how to create one that is effective. And now let's think about the organization of student supplies. What if students don't have what they need at their desks during your lessons. Of course, it can completely interrupt your teaching. Miss Mullins, I need a blue crayon. Okay, there went my pacing out the door. So this area of organization and routines is definitely a place you need to give some focus to. Do my students know what to do and when to do it so that I can pace my lessons effectively? And do they have the supplies that they need so my pacing does not get interrupted. Go back and look at this area first. Once you do, then you'll automatically see an improvement in your pacing and the flow of your classroom. So that is area number one. And now let's talk about area number two that can improve your pacing, and that is transitions. Transitions are those times in the day when you are moving from one activity to the next, and they are so important to our pacing, and let me tell you why. Our little ones have little to no concept of time. 
they measure more with events than they do with a clock. Likely your kindergartners have no idea what the time on a clock even means and they have no true understanding of time passing. So our transitions are so important because they mark the ending of one activity and the beginning to another and help students to process that switch. Their little brains need these transitions to shut off one thing and turn on another. When we use clear and repetitive transitions, they cue our students to stay on task and focused. So let me give you an example here. Day by day, I use the same type of transition. One year, I used a little bell to cue my students to go over to the carpet to begin our morning meeting. Up to that point, they did seat work, they went to the restroom, they put away their supplies, all of those organizational routines that really helped them to start their day. But they knew when I talked about the bell, it was almost time to ring the bell. They knew that they had to have that independent work completed before we went over to the carpet. And once I rang that little bell, it was their cue to clean up and they automatically went over and found their place to get started. So that is how I would transition from morning preparation to morning meeting. And it really worked well. Students were able after a few weeks to really understand the amount of time they had to get their independent work completed. My number one recommendation with transitions is to always have movement involved. So in that example, we moved from our seats over to the carpet. But if I had two activities back to back that required students to stay in their seats, I would always use a dance or brain break to get them up and moving to mark that transition. What that would do is it would give my students time to clean up, time to shut off whatever activity we were just doing, and to get prepared for another. And for a bonus, it helped me, the teacher, to pass out any materials for the next lesson or to pull up something that I needed to have prepared. I love brain breaks because it not only gives my students a minute to refresh, but it gives me a minute to refresh. Some of my very favorite brain breaks are by Dr. Jean, Jack Hartman, all of those people that you can find on YouTube. Check them out. Put them strategically between your activities and that will help your pacing. Remember, we're trying to give our students this illusion of speed and movement. So those transitions can definitely mark the movement on to another activity and help you move on through your lesson. So area number one was organization and routines. And area number two was transitions. Transitions. Now let's talk about area number three, which is timing and chunking of your lesson. You know, we're all human and whether we like to admit it or not, we will utilize or waste whatever time we are given. I'm thinking back to Christmas break and I had this long list of things to do. And of course, when I left work on that Friday, I told myself I'm going to get this done quickly. I'm going to 
get it done at the beginning of break so that I don't have to worry about it right before school starts back in January. Well, that was a big old lie. I'll tell you guys that something really incredible happened to me over Christmas break. Two children were placed in my care, and now instead of being a mom of two, I've suddenly became a mom of four. So of course, that did distract me from the work I wanted to do over break. But regardless of whether I'm suddenly the caregiver of two extra children or not, I probably would not have looked at any of that like I had intended to do. It's because we naturally utilize or waste whatever time we're given. I waited until the very last day before we returned to work. That was the Sunday before and tried my hardest to get my life together in that little bit of time that I had left before work. So if we work that way, we have to assume that definitely, without a doubt, our kiddos work in the same way. When we are expecting our students to complete activities, we have to understand that they will either use or waste whatever time they're given. So we need to create a sense of urgency in what we're doing. This definitely is related to pacing. We have to create that illusion of time passing and an urgency for them to get things done. So I like to use timers in the classroom. Again, students don't really understand the passing of time, but if you find a good timer and say, boys and girls, we have this amount of time before this clock runs out to complete this activity, your students will work hard to get it done. Use a visual timer that really demonstrates and shows them visually how much time they have left. And this really feeds into that sense of urgency that, hey, I have to get this done before this timer goes off. I use timers a lot in those independent activities that don't require a lot of higher order thinking. So for example, if my students are writing down their spelling words, I would set a timer to two minutes, put it up under the document camera on the projector so that they can see visually how much time they have to complete it. If I gave them 10 minutes to do it, trust me, they would utilize that 10 minute time frame in some way, whether it was completing the work or chatting with a buddy. So I try to keep the times as minimal as possible. How much time does the majority of the class need to get this completed? Now, if you have students who don't work well with timers, you can always provide an opportunity later in the day for them to catch up. What I've learned is if I hold every every student to the same standard, eventually they all can get it done in that amount of time. So you can really utilize time passing in a way to encourage your students to keep up with your pacing. Also in this area, I'm going to stick in chunking of your lessons because that has a lot to do with time. Chunking means breaking our daily lesson into small, manageable chunks for our students that are separated with those transitions that I mentioned earlier. So instead of looking at my reading block as a whole hour and a half, instead I look at it as small chunks in the day. So I'm thinking morning meeting, phonics instruction, phonological awareness instruction,
instruction, read aloud, all of those things. I separate each of those small lessons and activities with transitions so that my students get in routine and understand exactly when and what to do. Chunking with transitions really helps with that speed, that illusion that things are moving so we've got to keep up on the treadmill. If I'm a student, I don't have time to lose focus because I'll trip up and fall off the thing or just get behind my classmates. Personally, I like to keep each part of my lesson under 15 minutes, 20 to 25 minutes at the most at the second grade level, but at the kindergarten level or first grade, think less than that. We have to really play off the average attention span of our students and make sure we're not expecting them to stay focused for too long. So the chunking can help with that and it can help with your pacing. So just a recap on these three areas. Area number one is all about organization and routines. Teach your students what to do and when to do it and have all the supplies they need prepared and ready so it does not break up the speed of your teaching and your activities. Personally, I don't like to slow down for anybody. I want little Johnny to have his glue stick, his crayons, his scissors because we got to keep on moving along. Area number two was transitions. Those transitions can really help our students to understand the time they have to get things completed. The more we practice those transitions, the better they become at understanding what is expected of them in that amount of time. Remember to add some movement in there to help them turn off one thing and get refocused on another. Our brains need that reset. And plus, it's even a reward to dance around the classroom. So you can play on that a little bit to get even more classroom management out of this. And finally, area number four is timing and chunking. Can you use timers to create a sense of urgency for your students to get certain activities completed in a timely manner? Remember to use visual timers. Time clicking down on a stopwatch does doesn't mean much, but seeing a little red circle go around and slowly turn white will help them. And then there's the chunking that goes along with timing. Chunk your lessons in small, manageable portions. I suggest 15 to 20 minutes or less, depending on your grade level, and separating those chunks with transitions. All of these things can help your pacing and help you reach the next level of your classroom management game. And of course, on the instructional side of things, When students are expected to move at that sweet spot pace, they're going to be more engaged. So pacing is really a win-win situation. Oh, my dear sweet teacher friend, we've made it to the end of another episode. I hope that this has cleared up pacing for you and has given you some ideas on things that you can do to improve your pacing and therefore become happier in the classroom. We need to find joy because we have to sustain what we're doing. We have to keep on teaching. Please don't ever 
ever, ever give up. Our kiddos need passionate people just like you, and that is my goal, is to keep you motivated and moving and improving so that you can stay in the classroom long term and really impact those children. They need you. With that, I need you over in my Primary Teacher Friends Facebook group. I really want to build a community of loving, caring, and passionate teachers that will support one another. And I know that is the kind of person you are or you would not be listening right now. So down in the show notes, find the link to join. And if you find time, I would truly, truly, within the deepest part of my heart, appreciate you leaving a review on the podcast. What that does is it tells Apple that, hey, this is worth listening to, and it shows my podcast to other teachers. So if you have time to do that, please write a review, leave me some words of encouragement, and I would totally, totally appreciate it. With that, I'm going to hop off here. I have lots of things to do, and as I told you before, four children to care for now. So y'all pray for me, and (laughs) thank you for listening. Until we meet again, go make a difference, teacher friend. 